0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at BYTE.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with BYTE. Hi, everybody. Cheryl Ackison here. Welcome to another edition of Full Measure After Hours. I hope you'll subscribe to this podcast and my other podcast, the Cheryl Ackison Podcast. And a reminder, it's time to pre-order my new book, Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. You can pre-order anywhere today. In this podcast, I'm going to answer the question, whatever happened to President Trump's threat to withhold money from sanctuary cities? And did it work? You might be surprised by what I learned. If you've been watching Full Measure, you know that one of my goals is to do stories that no special interest is pushing out there. A lot of what you see on the news are topics that are being put out there by PR groups, political pundits and others who distribute emails and talking points to journalists and put out press releases and whisper in their ears. And that's partly why I think we see really the same three or four stories over and over again on the news, even if they're taking different viewpoints You're getting just a small slice of what's really going on in this country and in the world. So on full measure, I try to do stories that you're probably wondering about or want to know about, but no special interest is pushing for those to be on TV. And one of those is this week's cover story on sanctuary cities, because like you, I heard as President Trump ran for office and after he was elected, that he had the idea to withhold federal funds from sanctuary cities to punish them for shielding illegal immigrants. And the notion was that maybe it would change their views if they lost some federal funding, or if not, at least federal taxpayers would not be supporting a system where they codify illegal immigration. And then you didn't hear much about it after that, whether or not it ever grabbed hold, whether or not this ever came to pass. Maybe if you heard anything, You heard that lawsuits were filed. Pretty much with everything the Trump administration has tried to do in terms of various policy initiatives, there's been a coordinated campaign, as acknowledged by those fighting it, to wage legal battles to try to delay and stop pretty much everything he tries to do. And this was the same thing with his attempt or his administration's attempt to withhold federal funding from cities and states and counties that declare themselves sanctuaries for illegal immigrants. And part of my question as I looked into this story for this week's full measure was what kind of federal money can be withheld? What federal money do local cities and counties and states, what do they get? And it turns out it's a pretty narrow universe of what the federal money can withhold. A lot of this is laid out In precedents or in court cases. And it turns out the federal government, like it or not, can't withhold unrelated money from sanctuary cities and states as punishment for things that these sanctuary cities and states are or are not doing. There's only a certain defined amount or pot of money that's at issue here. And it's not as big as I thought. But even though it's not as big as I thought, it's still enough to make some of these municipalities and areas think twice about their policy, I learned, when I investigated the story for full measure. And I started in California. By the way, this is the story that will air on this week's full measure on Sunday, October 25th. This is the cover story. And I started by speaking with an illegal immigrant advocate in California named Edwin Valdez, and he's the son of illegal immigrants from Mexico who live here in the United States, and he was born here along with his sisters, and he runs a hotline now for a group that's called Sacramento Area Congregations Together, or Sacramento ACT, and they provide services for illegal immigrants and illegal immigrant families that need help. Maybe someone in their family gets picked up or arrested And it's a place, a hotline, basically, they can call and get resources to help them out. So his group aims pretty much to help the hardworking and deserving people who come to the U.S. illegally, but for jobs and for a better life, like his parents did, without going through the proper immigration system. But, of course, we have to acknowledge, as I did in this story, that not all illegal immigrants are peaceful, In fact, there's a pretty big population in our prison system of illegal immigrants. Just the population that we know of in 2018, and they're not all reported, but just the population that we know of, illegal immigrants accounted for 64% of all federal arrests, according to information put out by the General Accountability Office. And get this, illegal immigrants make up an estimated 7% of the U.S. population, but 15% of federal prosecutions for non-immigration crimes and about one out of every four federal drug arrests, these are illegal immigrants, about one out of four of every property arrests like theft and burglary and more than one in four arrests involving fraud. And I think that's important to say so that when you have this discussion about illegal immigration, that you look at both sides of the coin. Yes, there are contributions made by illegal immigrants, There are good people who come here and work very hard, and many people would consider them deserving of citizenship and not criminals. But, of course, there is a large criminal element. And every time I hear people claim that's not the case, I've done many stories that dig into the statistics, even those gathered under the Obama administration. And there are thousands upon thousands of cases of serious crimes, terrorist threats, murders, rapes, and so on, Every year by illegal immigrants who in many cases have been picked up before for committing crimes and are still in the United States. So it's far from an insignificant problem. There are two sides to this story. And as usual, on full measure, you won't just get one side of every issue or arguments, you know, one sided account with the reporter arguing with the person. You'll hear fully fleshed out facts And you'll hear people talk about both sides of this issue. But as I mentioned, part of President Trump's get-tough policy was to withhold money from places that won't, in essence, notify the feds before releasing illegal immigrant criminals back into society. That's the problem. It's the idea that there are illegal immigrants who may be in jail or prison, and they could be on the list for deportation for other crimes they've allegedly committed— And the federal government expects to be notified, ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, expects to be notified before these criminals are released back into the population so they can be processed for possible deportation. But sanctuary cities and states, maybe the rules are a little bit different from place to place, but in general, they don't do this cooperation. And that allows in some instances for these illegal immigrants to be released from prison or jail after serving time or after an arrest and blend their way back into society without the feds being able to have the chance to process them for other crimes or to deport them. And they go on in many cases to commit further crimes. That's been documented as well in things that I've reported on in statistics and studies and facts, um, even again beginning under the Obama administration. Anyway, to start this story for full measure, I visited California and specifically Orange County, California where they have a woman who's serving on the Board of Supervisors from South Korea, a legal immigrant, a first-generation legal immigrant, and her name's Michelle Steele, and she's actually on President Trump's side. She points out the dangers of the problem when there are illegal immigrants who come here and commit crimes, and they're basically untraceable, they blend back into society and go on to commit other crimes. She says this is a public safety risk. And she spoke about this at a county board meeting. We have a clip of that in my story this coming Sunday in March of 2018. She raised the issue as Orange County became maybe it was one of the first to take a position against California's sanctuary status. In other words, they took the opposing side in Orange County. They did not want to be a sanctuary city or part of a sanctuary for illegal immigrants. And as I've covered this story, actually, over the last couple of years, not knowing too much about California's demographics, I was a little bit surprised that there are far more conservatives or people who are against illegal immigration in California than I knew about. There are numerous places that have voted or tried to take a position against California's sanctuary status. You hear very often about Los Angeles and San Francisco and places that are pro-illegal immigration you hear less about the fairly substantial sentiment on the other side. So Orange County voted to oppose the sanctuary status, at least for themselves, of the state of California and voted to support President Trump's position. And it turned out to be mostly symbolic, a symbolic gesture because it doesn't carry all that much weight. And I asked um, Michelle Steele, I interviewed her, what the impact might be if, in fact, the Trump administration becomes successful at cutting off federal funding, like it's been trying to do. And she said that really, she thinks regardless of holding that threat over California's head, Michelle Steele said that California always fights the Trump administration on immigration issues and pretty much everything else. And she thinks that they will continue to fight tooth and nail to keep illegal immigration as a matter of policy and to not succumb to the Trump administration's threats because they could be withholding money. So the question is that I set out to find after that was how much money is at stake and who, if anybody, has really been cut off in these years that the president has been threatening to do so. And interestingly, this was not easy information to get. We called the Justice Department and I thought, they would be able to f- say here's the list of cities and states and counties that we have cut off this much money from and here's the result either they let us cut off the money or they change their sanctuary city status so that they could keep the money coming in but turns out the department of justice didn't have that information at its fingertips we had to really really pursue them And they would send us kind of forms and bits of information. I'm not saying they weren't helpful because in the end we got some. But I was just surprised that they don't track it in an easy to understand way where they can talk about the totals of what they've tried to withhold and when and how that's been successful or unsuccessful. But what we do know is the pot of money we're talking about, that they are allowed to withhold, or at least they think they're allowed to withhold at the federal level, the tax money is called burn justice assistance grants. They can't just take highway money, for example, under the law away from cities and states because they aren't cooperating on illegal immigration. It has to be money somehow attached to the issue. And these justice assistance grants are attached to the prison system and the justice system, and that's the money that the federal government if any is allowed to withhold and there's about 250 million dollars a year in all divided among about 900 cities counties and states and again 250 million dollars yes that's a lot of money but gosh not so much so when you think about all the thousands of sanctuary cities and states that have been declared and that 900 of them 900 cities and counties divide up this money every year. Well, what did the Trump administration do to try to make good on its threat? We found out in 2017, they imposed new conditions to get these burn justice assistance grants. So any place that wanted to take the money, in essence, had to agree to cooperate with ICE. So that served the purpose of either forcing sanctuary cities to give up the money they'd been getting or change their policy. And it turns out when I looked at the spreadsheet of who gets how much money, California gets the most from this grant program. They get about $36 million over the last two years that I look, so averaging $18 million a year. Again, considering how big California is, $18 million a year didn't seem like too much, but it's it's apparently significant enough that they care. And that's on top of what local governments get in California from the same Justice Assistance Grant Program. So the big question is, does the possibility of losing that millions in federal money change minds? And when I spoke to Valdez about it, remember he's the advocate who's pro-illegal immigration in Sacramento, he actually said yes, he thinks that threat has mattered. And he says, in fact, as an advocate, he's been having those kinds of discussions with city and county officials, that they understand that the money they receive from the federal government, they don't think it's insignificant, and that they're at risk of losing it if they continue with their sanctuary city policy. Right after a break, we will tell you what they're thinking of doing about that and what's happened as the Trump administration actually made good on its threat and where it stands today. Do you have something to say and want to make your own podcast? Let me tell you how to do that for free with Anchor. Anchor has creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. You can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's all you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app, or go to anchor.fm to get started. The news as we once knew it no longer exists. It's become a product molded and shaped to suit the narrative. Facts that don't fit are omitted, off-narrative people and views are controversialized or neatly deposited down the memory hole. Partisan pundits, analysts, and anonymous sources fill new space, leaving little room for facts. I hope you'll pre-order my new book today, Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. We're back and we're talking about sanctuary cities and the threat by the Trump administration to withhold funding from sanctuary cities and states. Whatever happened to that? Well, it turns out, as I mentioned, That in 2017, the Trump administration did try to make good on its threat, although you didn't hear much about it. They formally changed the conditions of a key justice assistance grant that cities and counties and states get. And the conditions changed in such a way that if they didn't cooperate with ICE, they couldn't get the money. So they'd either be cut off of this pot of funding or they would have to change their policies and not be sanctuary cities and states. I also spoke with my story with State Senator Holly Mitchell in California, a Democrat, and she took a slightly different view than Valdez, the other illegal immigration advocate who said that the risk of losing money was kind of making a difference. And I'll tell you what he said they're thinking about doing because of that. But Holly Mitchell disagreed a bit. She just says the state of California, regardless of this threat, as she put it, was going to continue to stand in the gap to protect our undocumented brothers and sisters. While there was a lot of money potentially at stake, she said that they were gonna fight it tooth and nail. She pointed out that the attorney general in California, she said she's already lost track of the number of lawsuits that he's filed against the federal government and that they would continue to fight. The reasons are, she says, they fundamentally believe in offering this protection to illegal immigrants. She says it reflects the values of California residents, and it's the right thing to do. So where does this stand in the big picture? After the terms of the grant were redefined, California and more than a dozen other locations sued to try to get the grant money under the old conditions without these strings attached. So all of this has been tied up in court. And when I looked at the places that have sued and what happened in the lower courts and what's happened on appeal... It turns out most of the sanctuary cities and states have won in lower courts. But then earlier this year on appeal, a federal court sided with the Trump administration in one of the biggest cases. And that was one involving New York and the federal government wanting to withhold funds from New York, which has sanctuary city status. And I spoke about this with a former Justice Department official, John Yu. Who himself lives in the sanctuary city of San Francisco. And San Francisco, by the way, is also suing the Trump administration over this money that the Trump administration said that it's trying to withhold. And Yu's vision of this as a lawyer is that he thinks it's true that the sanctuary cities and states have a point. The federal government cannot commandeer or draft them involuntarily them and their police officers to carry out federal enforcement priorities, which is what some say that's doing by requiring them to cooperate with ICE. And he says that's a position that is supported by the Supreme Court many, many times, that the locals do not have to cooperate or help with the federal government in any way. But he says on the flip side, the federal government doesn't have to give California any money for policing or immigration. So that's the whole question here. He thinks what will happen in the end and that this will be decided at the Supreme Court level was that there will be some significant budget cuts for cities like San Francisco and San Diego and L.A. and the state of California, and that they may just eat the budget cuts and keep their sanctuary city status, but the government will be right, the federal government, in withholding the money. So you will be hearing more about this issue as it goes to the Supreme Court. I'm thinking one thing that could change that, let's say Biden were to be elected president, I suppose his Justice Department would change the policy back and there would be no no lawsuit. I think that's one possible outcome if Trump is not reelected. Then I wanted to know if this threat, though, not everybody sued the federal government when the funding was threatened to be cut off. So again, I asked the Justice Department, well, which places went ahead and took the money and in essence then agreed that they weren't sanctuary cities or perhaps states anymore? And again, interestingly, the Department of Justice did not have that information, at least did not have it at the ready. And it kind of confused me because let's say you're working with the Trump administration and this is An important priority, but you're not even tracking whether individual sanctuary cities have changed their laws or changed their practices to comply with grant conditions. You don't even know if the strategy has been successful or you haven't written down the places where it has been successful so you can talk about that success with people who wanted you to withhold the money. But they did tell us, the Justice Department, when I asked this question, that it is safe to infer that some cities and states have agreed to abandon sanctuary practices to continue participating in grant programs. In other words, they're saying here, and based on the numbers and the way you put them together, there are some places that said okay, that cried uncle when this threat of withholding money came down. But we don't have the list of the places that did that because the Department of Justice, for whatever reason, isn't tracking it. In any event, back to Sacramento, remember... I was talking with Valdez, the advocate, and I asked him, because he said that they had been discussing what to do about this in Sacramento, what to do about the threat of money being cut off, and he said that they are still having discussions like that, and they don't really have an answer as to whether they should change things or how big of a threat it was, but he did say that some cities are considering maybe sort of a middle ground where they change their policies enough but still feel like they have policies in place that protect and defend the illegal immigrant community, but not in a way that causes them to lose funds from the federal government and officially violate policies. Again, the way things are going, it will be the Supreme Court that would have the final say on this issue of whether American cities and states have to choose between getting these federal grants or giving sanctuary to illegal immigrants. I hope you find this issue as interesting as I did when I looked into it. I wonder if maybe you also have been thinking, whatever happened to that that threat or that promise? Did the Trump administration try to follow through with it and what happened if and when they did? You can watch this story again on October 25th, Sunday, on Full Measure. You can find a station near you by visiting com. And click the Full Measure tab, and it tells you all the ways you can find a station in your area or listen to it on demand, on STIR, our app, anytime, or watch it live online. And maybe the best way, as I always say, if, if you don't have a station near you or you're just getting on to Full Measure, is to watch it at fullmeasure.news online. And you can watch it live at 9.30 Eastern Time on Sundays, fullmeasure.news. But you can watch replays anytime. we post those segments from that day's TV program around noon on Sunday. In, in other words, you could log in right now or go online. You don't have to log in. You don't need a password. Just go online to fullmeasure.news and you can see the most recent segments that aired on TV. So easy. What else do we have coming up? Also in this week's program, I did a story about online campaigning. And by that, I just mean we all know that this has been a different and an unprecedented year for the political campaigns because of coronavirus. A lot of the appearances that the candidates would have done in person, they were not able to do. So everything switched, even though Trump, yes, he's been doing live rallies again. But there was a long period of time, a really key period of time where the candidates were not doing any such thing. So in my story... The second story that we'll have this Sunday on Full Measure, I look at online campaigning, how it's kind of changed things, perhaps even permanently, when it comes to campaigns. And then another story I have this week on one of my favorite topics, fake news. I will be interviewing a lecturer of history and media studies named Nolan Higdon. Why am I talking to Nolan Higdon? Well, he's author of a book called The Anatomy of Fake News where he's defining it. And you know, my views on this, if you've listened to me report and talk about this, fake news kind of depends on the eye of the beholder. As I tracked in my second book, The Smear, the whole notion of fake news in its modern context was raised by left-leaning interest in 2016 as part of the campaign. And it was used as a notion by liberals, actually started by Google and Alphabet and Hillary Clinton supporters at the corporate level. Eric Schmidt was in charge of Alphabet at the time, big Hillary Clinton person. He and Google helped start a nonprofit that looks like this sort of disconnected, you know, middle-of-the-road, innocent nonprofit that just looks for fake news and curates news for you, but it turns out it's this invention of left-leaning political interest during 2016 used to crack down on what they saw as fake news, all of it conservative, of course. And then as I continue to trace the financial interests behind this move, which I think was all about trying to convince us that we needed our information to be curated, because I think special interests and political interests wanted to control our information that they were finding was largely uncontrolled online. and They didn't like that. So they had to convince us that there was a market, they had to create a market for curating our information and fact checking it we're so used to that now but it was unheard of before 2016 or almost unheard of at least in terms of what we're doing today so this market was created and then trump supporters took over the concept of fake news i call it a hostile takeover a lot of people think trump came up with the phrase but he just co-opted it after it was used against him initially and now people are very confused well what is fake news and who's really guilty of it, and who should be curating it. And as I like to say, the left sees a lot of conservative news as fake news, and the right sees a lot of sloppy but intentional mistakes, in their view, made by the news media as fake news. So the definition depends on who you talk to. Nolan Higdon, sort of an expert on this, who wrote a book about it, will give us his definition and kind of talk about what he thinks, even though he's left leaning by his own account, he agrees with some conservatives when it comes to information and fake news, how information is being controlled and what's being done about it. So you will enjoy hearing his views, hearing about his book, The Anatomy of Fake News and what he thinks. That's again, one of our stories this Sunday on Full Measure. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and that you will share it with your friends, leave a great review, and check out my other podcast, the Cheryl Atkinson Podcast, where I talk about all kinds of off-narrative stories and content and investigations. And if you have waited to order my new book that's coming out November 24th, it's called Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism, please don't wait any longer. This is so on point to everything that we're talking about today with what's happened to the news. My nickname for the book is called The Death of the News As We Once Knew It, Is It Murder or Suicide? And by that I mean, we all know there's been a huge change in devolution of the news as we once knew it. Whose fault is it? Depends on who you ask, but I think I make a pretty compelling case in the book as to who's pulling the strings. And something interesting that I don't think any other book has done I speak to over a dozen current and former executives at top news organizations, including CNN, ABC, NBC, MSNBC, The New York Times, reporters, producers. You'll be surprised at their views when we talk about the devolution of the news and what they think is behind it. Most of them describe themselves, who I interviewed, as left-leaning, but their views are very much in line in some cases with critics on the right. You don't hear this very often. There's a chapter in the book about the devolution of the New York Times. I trace with great detail and examples how they've succumbed to influence by social media mobs, changing headlines and placement of stories and how they cover the news based on criticism they get, often very well-organized criticism by organized interests on Twitter. They're bending to that. They're bending their news coverage to that. In another chapter, I talk about the serious devolution of CNN. I don't know if you all know that I worked there back when it was a news organization, back in 1990. And this chapter is a deep dive into what's happened at CNN and why, with the help of other CNN insiders. There's also in this book a comprehensive list of media mistakes in the era of Trump. And there's a chapter that talks about places I think you can go reporters and publications to find off-narrative news. It's a complicated question because it's not like I could recommend one publication for all your news. It kind of depends on what you're looking for and what topic you're talking about, but I've devoted a chapter to that as well. So I hope you will pre-order Slanted today, and it's a great holiday gift since it's coming out November 24th for someone who cares about this issue, the person who has everything but doesn't have this book yet. So thanks for listening and do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself.